Before the next episode of XJob Downloaded starts, I have a big favour to ask. If you've enjoyed any of our episodes so far, please can you click on the follow button on your platform. I'm on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon and YouTube. It costs nothing to follow, but makes a real difference to me as a podcast producer. Thank you. This interview is being tape recorded. My name is Paul Maleri and this is X Job Downloaded. And today we're going to interview, now don't get confused, Paul Mullally. Paul is a former member of Essex Police and we've known each other for a long time. Uh, welcome today, mate. It's a bit grim out there. It certainly is, Paul. But uh, thanks for inviting me, mate. I've been looking forward to it. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting because I know a lot of the people that I've spoken to are mates and, and associates and whatever, but you don't have to learn a lot. You learn more yeah. doing this about, and, and this is, and I've used it a few times, this is the, what did you do in the war, granddad scenario. <laughs> so um, so where did it all begin? Where, where are you from originally, Paul? Parents from the east end of London, from a good old Canning Town. Uh, Mum and dad, bless them, wanted to move down to Essex, as, as you know, most of the east end uh, eventually moved there. Um, so we moved down when we were sort of uh, probably about two or three years of age, moved down to Canvey Island. Canvey Island, the Rock. It's a, it's a, that's a different world over there. As soon as yeah. you cross that estuary, I think what happened is my parents were looking at the East End, and there was an opportunity for East Enders to actually buy their first property. And obviously, a lot of the East Enders jumped on the jumped on the wagon. It was, it was fantastic. You imagine moving down to the coast, mm. and uh, I mean, I know there's also obviously lots of uh, friendly banter about Canvey these days. But, yeah, um, it's. Great community. Oh, yeah. Um, and very tight-knit community. My mum, uh, bless her, is, is still around and she loves it down here. Everyone looks after her. It's a real, got a real community feel to it. And it is proper salt of the earth. I mean, it is, yeah. it's a really, it's a, it's a great place and they're very um, passionate about the area in, in, in which they live. Definitely. So you went to school around there? Went to uh, Cornelius for Moyden which was, uh, I think it was quite a new school on Canby, actually. Um, so that was uh, probably what... Uh, the early yeah the seventies stayed on the stayed on the Canvey and then early eighties worked in London for London Transport what in a, an administrative role as a, I think it was a clerical assistant I think was the uh, was the role and then always interested in the police always been I think that probably came about looking at the uh, watching the Sweeney with me dad yeah no I'm with you and and you're a, you know you're a big fella you you know you've got a presence about you and. Um... And I'm, I'm sure. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a typical Essex person. We, we right. were like the mushroom, mushroom <laughs> men. But you're, you're, you know, and yeah, if you walked into a room, I'd say years ago, I'd have said, yeah, you're a copper. Although yeah. you, you know, you've, you've moved yeah. on from there. What was the inspiration to join, other than John Thor and uh, Dennis Waterman? What was the actual inspiration to join? Um, I just thought it was. Uh, I mean, my dad was old school. He used to say to me, "Do you know what?" He said, "I bet that's a job that pays a good pension." <laughs> Yeah, and the East Enders used to look at jobs for. I mean, my dad was self-employed. He was a he was a, a carpenter, a very very good carpenter at that. But they probably used to look at jobs where they wanted to see their kids um, a little bit thrive, if you like, do yeah. 20, 30 years or something, get recognised, get a good pension, you know, which was going to support you and your family for for years. And obviously, at the time, it was. Do you remember people was going to work for banks, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. It was banks, public sector, those type of opportunities, really, and. Um, but I've always been quite inquisitorial. Yes. So 
I think it was that's why I was always looking at the the detective side of police and that's probably my real ambition from from day one really what year did you actually join the police service uh january 1984 right okay so we were in just starting the minor strike yes i was involved in that oh weird did yeah. you all right okay we'll come <laughs> on to that and 1984 was a pivotal time for policing because of the minor strikes yeah margaret thatcher was right behind the old bill at that sure. time and, yep. and, and basically after the edmund davis stuff in 1979 those five years made a massive difference to policing and the way that people carried out their police police work. You know, you had your Brixton riots Definitely. and all the other stuff. Yep. Where did you get posted to initially? Well, initially it was Rayleigh, which was part of the the old good old South End Division, yeah. the H Division. So that was um, that was my first posting. So on uniform uh, at Rayleigh, that was um, I stayed there for a period of time and then moved across to Lee. Leon C. Brilliant. But stayed in that area within the South End Division. So it was, um, oh, Gary Franklin and all that lot over there. Gary was a was a DS there, great guy. Smashing bloke. Yeah, very good. Yeah. And Andy Harvey and... Andy Harvey. And obviously, South End always had that, um, the borough. It was a borough force, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, it so was. So sort of a borough mentality. Mentality, yeah. A very, very tight-knit um, division to work in. Yeah. Um, but... CID were fantastic experience, great, great people to work for. I mean, obviously, people like Chris Nyland. Yeah. He was my first ever DS, fantastic. At Lee. Detective uh, at Lee, Lee on C, yeah. yeah. Um, but actually, no, spin that back. I was actually at uh, South End, South End CID was right. my first posting. So that was in, I think that was in about uh, 89, 1990, having done the CID course, obviously yeah. the national course at Preston. Spent all your money and went to Squires. <laughs> <laughs> did um, did you enjoy your time on uniform though? Um, used to be a bit frustrated with it, really. To be honest with you, it was um, I saw it more as a a means to an end, really, of because I think obviously if you was involved in a, if you was a good thief taker on on, on uniform, you were recognised by the CID officers, and the time that then you had an opportunity to go and work as an aide. That was that yeah. was that obviously what we used to do. So if you was involved in a did a couple of small cases and developed them into bigger cases, and the CID would say, well, "Listen, I've just had a word with your shift sergeant. Come and work upstairs with the uh, with the techs." Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and obviously, as you remember, we was talking about earlier on. Um, you weren't far away from a pub, was you? Oh no, but but you got paid. I mean, <clears throat> we got expenses if we went into a pub. We we yeah. we could put a claim form in to get expenses, but yeah. how? That's how you got your information. information. That's how you met the public. Absolutely, absolutely. You, you, I used to walk into my yeah. office and I'd say to them, "Give us all your warrant cards." And I said, "Why is that, then, Governor?" I said, "Because none of you have used them this week to arrest anybody. <laughs> if yeah. if the only thing you use your warrant card for is to go and get a tube, then give me your warrant cards and I'll get yeah. somebody else in to do it." Do you know what the amount of intel? That you would get from you get from a pub. I mean, if you walked into any pub now this afternoon and said to the licensee of the pub, "Who's a local police officer?" They wouldn't know. They would look at you like you was a Martian, wouldn't they? Oh no, nobody does pub checks now. I mean, no. we we work for some local authorities, and it's frustrating that the the police do not engage with publicans anymore. Yeah, and I know we we had um, we had a police car smashed up at the back of a pub in Braintree once, whilst the guys are in there doing their inquiries, but. <laughs> 
but you you knew who the Herberts were. You knew yeah. who your drug dealers were. And yeah. it was a preventative measure within the yeah. community. Well, a good example at South End, you'd come into the, the backyard and you used to see a coach. <laughs> <laughs> so your first thing you'd do is phone the wife up and said, I think it's going to be a long day. We've got a coach from a... Uh, from a South London coach here, he's fifty-two in the in the uh, in the cells. It's going to be a long day. But in terms of the intel, you'd phone the the licensee of the pub up, wouldn't you? Yeah. And so you, there was a big punch up last night. We've got three guys involved at least. Give us a clue. Give us a heads up, and you would get the the information. Yeah, that information used to used to be able to cut through the inquiry quickly, wouldn't yeah. it, to identify who was involved? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, and, and South End, it still gets lively, I think, but you yeah. had some really interesting clubs, um, Tots, Zero Six. And, Absolutely. And yeah, some was... very serious assaults. I, I, I don't keep up to speed with what's going on now. Um, I assume they still have the same sort of issues. But it just seemed an older generation then that were getting involved in it all. Well, unfortunately, there used to be a lot of young ladies used to come down from uh... – you know, used to go to Tots, used to meet, meet a local guy. So there was obviously a lot of allegations in relation to, you know, like sexual, se- sexual assaults. Sexual yeah. assaults. That, was, um, that was always, uh, that was quite prolific. And uh, so most of your time used to be spent back in the East End or South London sort of following up the, the yeah. inquiries. What a great life. Yeah. But it's all it done from it. Do you know, I've, the other day, Someone phoned up here. Um, Joe witnessed a, a fatal road collision or the, the seconds before a fatal road collision. And they took a statement over the phone. What are, what's that all about? I don't, I don't get it because, yeah. uh, look, unless you see the whites of somebody's eyes, you've got to be able to ask them those questions. Absolutely. But also the fact that um, just by assessing a witness – Sitting in front of them, assessing them, you can learn a lot. Because when you're at court, you can you can talk to counsel before yes. the trial and say, "Look, I've spent I spent quite a bit of time with this witness. They're going to be a really good witness on the stand. They're not going to be so good." Um, because it, um, to me, that was all part and parcel of it. Really seeing them in their own environment as well. Yeah, absolutely. And because the credibility of a witness is massive in, in a court mm. case, when they get up there, if they're a little bit flaky, you need to understand that they're going to be flaky before you even get into a court situation. Yeah. But you know what? We're not in it anymore, so we, we we're not going to change it. It just no. and I'm not, you know, I, I do feel for the guys and girls that are carrying out the job now because I was reading the other day that uh, there's food banks in some forces. I've heard that. Yeah, it's yeah. sad, isn't it? It's yeah. sad, but but you only have to look at the hierarchy in Essex, and they're lovely people. Yeah. But how can you have somebody travelling from Colchester to Harlow for an early turn? Yeah, and and then expect them to, you know, fifty odd miles. Mm. But that's what was happening, Paul. When I was when I was finishing, I had somebody that yeah. was actually doing that trip, and they would go sick on the three days before payday because they couldn't afford to put fuel in their car. It's just. Uh, it's I sad. think the other thing we're seeing as well, where a lot of officers are not staying for their for the for the duration of their time. Either they're sort of leaving leaving early. Oh, there's obviously a, a good reason for that. Um, one assumes it's assumes it's financial. Um, Maybe the pension conditions have changed as yeah. well. Um, but, I mean, going back to your point, mm. we were never far from a pub. I mean, it was I, – I, I vividly remember Dick Mason, bless him, who passed away last year. Yeah. He came in as our new sergeant and he said, um, who are you? And I said, oh, I'm Paul Maleary, sergeant. He said, oh, right, okay. Who are you with? Ian Rayner, okay. He said, right, I'll meet you two, one o'clock at Judge Tyndall's and I drink Guinness. <laughs> and that was, and where's the right. DCI and he, and that was it and we went out and we had a pint at lunchtime yeah. and yeah. 
rightly or wrongly. And I know why it changed. I get it, and it's it's right that it changed because some people spent too much time there. But there was a balance to be had, and yeah, some people took the mickey. And then I think that some people that weren't invited to go out for a pint got the ump, and then all of a sudden they'd be. They're the ones who make the effective changes around what we, what we think. I think it changed when, well, right, saying uniform chief inspectors suddenly became line managers for um, yeah for CID. I think that happened at South End. It, it did happen. Yeah. That's what they tried to do, and then and then they implemented those changes, and then it went, it's gone back to a DCI now, yeah. and it went yeah. back to a DCI. But uh, so, how long were you at South End? So South End, um, at least I went back to a uniform sergeant, a custody officer. That was a that was a major shock for me. In South End custody, yeah. So they promoted me. <laughs> I got so I got my sergeant's exam in ninety one. Um, then they Mick Benning, who was the chief superintendent, phoned yeah. up. Big congratulations! Lovely, he man. said, "Paul, you're going to remain in the South End division." So I thought that's that'd be handy. Perhaps I can be a DS at South End. There, there was always a penance, wasn't there, of uh, yeah. of being a custody officer. So. That was it. DC on the Friday, Monday in the block. And there's a lot of cells down in South I'll tell you what, it, I could not believe the fact that because I'm there custody, just trying to get used to the, the processing of prisoners. And uh, I think it was a, I think they'd done a drugs raid that, um, on that Friday at one o'clock in the morning. And there was it, there was a bus outside with, uh, you know, 20 people to process, you know. And, all uh, handwritten. That's weird, all handwritten. But that's when you rely on a good jailer, don't you? Oh, yeah. The jailer was fantastic. He said to me, "Look, don't stress." He said, "We'll um, we'll do this together." And um, got through it. And just booking up the last prisoner, and that was it. Six o'clock. The, the next custody officer came in. <laughs> early turn. It was time to go home. Wasn't it? Um, Brilliant. I, I I never did custody sergeant, so I yeah. can't I can't comment. But I can imagine what it's like when you, the your mates that you're working with as DCs are bringing in in prisoners, and you're thinking. Hold on, I know I know what your your antics are, and and yeah. South End is a particularly busy place. I mean, it's interesting because they'll never close South End, albeit they've closed a lot of other police stations. Yeah. So, what it's done is it's actually pushed the custody issues to the busier stations because they've closed, you know, the yeah. the, the smaller nicks now. And how long were you a custody sergeant? Uh, custody till. I think for about, I had a back problem actually at the time. I was involved in a quite a serious um, assault actually. Um, that was when I was um, sort of as, as, a, as a PC at Rayleigh. Uh, two guys, caught two guys trying to break into a car oh. and uh, drove the car at me. I ended up on a falling over, injuring myself. It's, it really did freak me out uh, for about, for a good six months. Mm. Um so I had some back issues. I had back surgery in, I think it was about 92. I had some time off. Um, and then picked up, a, when I was, say, when I was on CID, I picked up a, um, an inquiry that they allowed me to carry on as a, as a PS. Oh, so okay. I was back on light duties. In fact, I worked with your, with your brother. My little brother. We was working on wow. a, a Chinese credit card fraud. Oh, I remember that one. Operation Daisy. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, fantastic job. And uh, your brother was, you know, great, uh, great yeah, help. He sends his regards. I said yeah, I've seen you yeah. today. But, um, yeah, that was a super job. Did that for about 18 months. Um, that was four Chinese uh, restaurants in the Rayleigh division that were allowing counterfeit credit cards to right. be used in a restaurant. And uh, we did a did an OP on it. It was quickly quickly obvious that there was 
fraud of a huge scale going on. It was Barclay Card that reported it to us. Right. It was a days where Barclay Card walked in the front office and said, we want to report a, a fraud. Brilliant. You might get a lazy CID officer that didn't want to get involved. And it was a great job. So I was involved yeah. in that. And um, yeah, we did that for, I think that was finally dealt with in, I think it was about 94. So right. yeah, so basically light duties, uniform skipper, and then a DS, DS's post came up at uh, Brentwood. What a great place. Part of the Harlow division. Yeah, what a great place. I yeah. loved working at Fantastic. Brentwood. Fantastic. Best best posting. Yeah. By far. Yeah. They're very exact the, the public are very exacting. Yeah. They know what they want, but they're very, very supportive. And I absolutely loved being yeah. there. I was a DS there for a while. Yeah, it was absolutely great. Good chance. And so and what year was this? Before major investigations? So ninety four. Ninety four. I was a DS. Um, promoted the uniform sales at 92, 94 DS. Uh, so literally um, at Brentwood, covering Harlow Division, which was Epping as well, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, good times. And those were the days where if, if there was a major crime, you'd lose a percentage of your staff to yeah. a murder or, yeah. or, or a serious investigation until the major investigation teams came in in 2000, January 2000 they started. That's it, yeah. Um, and so how long were you there? Uh, I was there till uh, I sort of was taken off for a few major investigations, like the the, the Apache investigation uh, that was in '96, um, and I was involved in the um, I don't know if you remember the railway rapist. Yeah, uh, where there, there was a rapist that unfortunately uh, there was a gap between eight years, so he committed an offence in in Brentwood in yes. 1992. There was no further um, offences, and then. There was another, I think there was an offence um, where there was a link to a DNA in South Bermondsey. Right. British BTP called us up and said, we've just got a link to your your Brentwood offence. So we worked on a worked on that for about, I think it was just over a year with the BTP, did a joint uh, Holmes inquiry and got the man for it as well. And he locked, got him locked got up? Got him locked up. That's good. Yep. There's a lot of satisfaction in in those sorts of jobs. On the Apache, I, and I was on the other end of that, of course, because um, it were people in my office that were up to no good. But working on an internal investigation with people that you knew or indirectly knew at the other, because I, I mean, you're not professional yeah. standards, no dis- Sure, yeah. Um, I think they take it, they, they take great heart in some of it. But it was an interesting inquiry, and, and as that's un- unfolded, um, it's become even more interesting, but but it was connected to the Essex Boy murders. Mm-hmm. What was that like working in that environment? I've got to say, it wasn't the best day's work um, to actually. I mean, obviously, I think Dave Bright was the superintendent. He was insistent of picking his team. Um, it's just difficult inquiry. Yeah, dealing with police officers. Um, some officers had, had clearly breached disciplinary. I'm a little bit old school. Would like to think. Do you know what? They deserve a little bit of a... There for the grace of God. Absolutely. And, um, you know, there was some out-and-out corruption. Oh, there was, absolutely. um, Which deserved the punishment. I just don't think tactically the force dealt with it in the right way. They probably should have been, um, I think we've said earlier on, there should have been disciplinary um, hearings before court cases. It's funny, actually, because um, I remember talking to John Black, the the QC, that uh, did did the trials... And um, I think he looked at it that because it, because of the relationship between that case and the and the Essex boys case, I think there needed to be um, some 
if you like, it needs to be closed. Closure, they, they, Clo- absolutely. Closure, yeah. Because there was obviously disclosure yes. issues as well. Yeah. No, I, I get it because yeah. I, actually, I mean, when when I was getting told off because I hadn't written the word annual leave in my duty roster or it seemed very puerile at the time, but actually looking at it from a, a different perspective, that needed to be closed off because your yeah. integrity and credibility was always going to be questioned yeah. at any subsequent hearing. So I, I sure. do get it. But, yeah, it was it was an interesting time in my life and because you're a mate and um, Simon Willett's a mate and, you know, it, it's it's you know it's an interest it was an interesting time Th- nearly thirty years ago now though Paul you, was it really yeah well we're, so yeah it's twenty eight years since that, since the murders took place well, the thing is as well is the problem with that type of inquiry is when you finish you still got to go back to work somewhere yeah 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 so you could be posted you could go back to I mean the Essex Police would not actually look at your posting and think Do you know what we don't need a post oh, no. on it they would you would just be sent <laughs> back to the uh, to an area where you may well have investigated yeah. police officers. And and if you're professional enough, you understand that. I do, mm. you know, and and some of these people were really good friends of mine before the before they went on to the inquiry. Um and but some people took great delight in causing misery, to, you know, walking into Braintree so, police station yeah. as it was at the time. Yeah. Um and you know, I'd worked with the likes of Graham Ball. He's a he's a really good friend of mine yeah, because yeah. he was part of the Yes. You know, he was, he, he was yeah. he was Posted into it yeah. effectively, um, so yeah, he told me off once because I hadn't done a typical CID hadn't done the mileage book in the uniform car that he was driving around. But yeah, it was it was an interesting time. So you've you've done your major major crimes as a DS, yeah, been, been drafted in, and some of those were very protracted, weren't they? Oh, certainly was, yeah. What? Where did you go from Brentwood? I went to Harlow, did some acting, and then it was at a time when the major investigation side was. Um, I think it was in. I think. Wasn't there a review done on um, yeah. major investigation in Essex? Because obviously people were being, uh, if you like, gobbled up, weren't they, to go and work oh, the on, were on, huge. on cases all over the Essex. And, and to be fair, if you're working in the Harlow Division, my, I mean, my DCI was Wim Bernard. And he used to, quite rightly, he'd think, Hang on, I just had a phone call from a superintendent oh, asking yeah. for Paul Mullally yeah. uh, to go and work on a, an inquiry for, yes. th- for the next three months. Well, that's, so that three months is going to be six months. Yes. And it's going to be a year. Yeah. And obviously, with previous um, work I've done, and it caused a lot of um, caused quite a lot of bad feeling. So, yeah. the concepts of major investigations, a dedicated team, did make a lot of sense. Oh yeah, it did it professionalised yeah. the way that they carried out murder mm. investigations? So that was uh, so I went to started off at headquarters actually. Oh, did you with Nick Stoneman? Oh yeah, right. So Nick, um, we were sort of doing. I think we were used as sort of um, like ad hoc. Staff to an inquiry to sort of provide right, homes, yes. homes work that sort of thing. Cover abstractions. Then, then went to eventually went to Rayleigh in I think it was in two thousand and one. But that time we had the hijacking at um, Stansted Airport. Yeah. Uh, so that was it. Was a busy year, wasn't it? Two thousand one. Daniel start, Jones. We had all all that. That's right. Yeah. So we had that. Um, I just remember going, spending so much time doing it with murders in in the Greys division. Oh, Greys, Greys yeah. and Tilbury. Yeah, so we had just... seven <clears throat> murders down there in, in in twelve months, I think yeah. it was. And there was a, there was one family where two of the boys were suspects and got locked up for murder. And we That's were knocking, right. we were yeah. doing house to house yeah. on the same houses, and they said we've already been here once. I said, this is a different job, mate. Down Dock Road and all, all around. I don't know if you there. remember the, do you remember the case with um, 
was a young lad and he just literally just flipped, attacked somebody, punched them. The, the victim, unfortunately, um, died on, at the scene. And when we get into the background of the suspect... In the pub? It was actually on the street. I was trying to think. Right. But the background was he'd been, a, he'd been involved in the Paddington train crash. Oh, wow. And had suffered... PTSD. Huge PTSD issues. Went to went to trial and the QC, um, Pat Lynch, yeah. Patricia Lynch said to me, um, have you not read his medical history? So I said, well, we haven't been told anything. He said, She said, well, she said, I think we're going to have a, a bit of a fight here to prove the murder. I think it's going to have to be a plea to manslaughter because here's his, uh, his, his, his track record and it was uh, horrific. Uh, I think it might have been in like in the first carriage. Right, witnessed. Oh dear, the injuries and the deaths and yeah, the, and the, just the trauma to it. Yeah, I'm not saying it's an excuse for what he no, did, but, but you can understand. Yeah. You can understand it. I mean, I did. I worked on some very interesting murders down in, in well, all over Essex, mm. but Gray's was particularly interesting um, with some of them down there. I mean, there was one where the the kid had a, I think it was a sword, and the father went into. Grab hold of his son and he steps yes. to one side because the boy was going to stab the doorman. Doorman steps one side and he, he does his dad. Remember that? Yeah, I mean it was horrendous. You know the quick quick story on that one. Go on. That young lad, where uh, so he, obviously his father was father was stabbed. His father was taken to an A and E, and it was either in Basildon or Kent, and the daughter of the um, his daughter was actually working in A. Oh no. Oh, horrendous. I mean, that, I still remember that. Yeah, horrendous. Imagine she's working just on shift, didn't get a message, and was literally just mm, dealing with uh, get the call, dealing with uh, you know, dealing with the trauma of the injuries, and uh, there was dad. Do any of the jobs sit with you? I mean, I, I can still remember mm. all the post mortems and all the jobs that I went to, but do do they actually sit with you as a? I can't say that they're a good memory, but they're not one. They don't sit there and don't cause me a, a huge amounts of stress. Um. Do you know what I always remember is dealing with dealing with agonies. Yeah. Do you, do you still re- I can still remember my first agony. Yeah, I can. And that one will always. And it was. I always remember sitting with a, uh, a tutor constable, and he said to me, "Paul, you're going to have to deliver this." And you're sitting here. It was at Sainsbury's. I always remember it was Sainsbury's car park at Rayleigh, and there's all these cars, and we saw the ladies. So basically, what happened is the guy was about fifty-five years of age, playing golf, collapsed collapsed on a golf course died of a, of a cardiac arrest. Um, so we just got information. Can you convey, you know, Mr. Yeah. Smith uh, has passed away. His wife's, they've just been to the house. The wife is shopping in Sainsbury's. That's her car. Mm. And I can still remember sitting in the car park, looking at her car, waiting for seeing all these ladies with trolleys, yeah. thinking, we're just going to tell you something that's going to change your life. Yeah. And there's there are things like that that uh, yeah they do, that, yeah they do you think about you know yeah I do um, I, my my first one was a, a a guy had gone diving he was in a harbour I think he was in Portsmouth down in the, in the harbour and they were diving just off the coast or whatever hmm. and he'd had heart attack and I had to go and tell his son in Braintree and I just and I was a I was a young wet behind the ears you know sure yeah delivering bad news was because I hadn't yep. answered you know I didn't phone a girlfriend up for three weeks because I didn't want to. Didn't want to tell her I weren't going to see her anymore, but but um, but to to do that is pretty hard. And I remember being um, on a the probably the worst one was delivering an agony on Christmas Eve uh, to a family where we found the mother, and I was the I was in charge of the investigation. I was a temporary DCI on a missing person, and 
we'd found the body in the back of a car and we'd missed it. As part of the search, they'd, right. they'd missed it in the search yeah. parameters and she'd been dead in there for a, a week. And, um, yeah, going around and telling the family that we found her body on Christmas Eve, that was pretty grim. But but they don't give me nightmares. That's that's the point I'm no, making. No, I suppose you become... You become a little bit. Uh, you become blasé to it to a certain extent. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't. Is it know. the black humour that keeps us? Um, yeah, I, I, but yeah. I, but I think that that's the our, our generation. Sort of, uh, that's generational sure. as well. Yeah, because our humour yeah. is probably far different, far out of kilter compared to the modern police, and yeah. that's what kept us going. So you've got a policing family, haven't you? Yes. So that that humour is well served. Mm. I mean, my kids have got have never been anything involved in the play, no. and I find even today, my, my humour, I struggle. Yeah. I do struggle with my nearest and dearest. You know, they must look at me and think, you know. Well, it, just, saying uh, something inappropriate to gain effect is yeah. what I do. You know, yeah. I might say something that's totally outrageous, but yeah. you know that it will gain effect with with whoever's listening, who, who the audience yeah. are. But yeah, I suppose, you know, is it right? Is it wrong? I just think it's about characters, and I and character building and I think some of that is you went off to Ashford police training school yeah so did I it's all done in house mm. I was reading an article um yesterday where a parent had phoned up the police station and said look my, my son's a, a, a probationer it's his birthday he's not going to be doing nights tonight um yeah it's like oh where did that come from how how have we got to this situation and it's because there's nobody putting their foot down and saying, no, enough's enough. That's enough. Your, like you say, your your life um, in the police is, is slightly different to mine because mine are all, we're all police-centric, although that's, that's changing. My yeah. kids have got no desire to join the police, not not in this country. Um, so what happens next with, with Paul? That was in, uh, so 2000, so MI, then I went to the Met. An did opportunity you? that came up at uh, at the barking team. I just never. Oh yes, you did. Yeah, that was uh, that came up, and um, I think Terry Garrity was the DCI, and they'd started to get a few of Essex officers yeah. uh, going across. And I looked at it and thought, you know what? I've always been interested in that. I know it's a huge force, and you're one of a no, you know, one it. of a big number. Um, so that was in two o three. Did, did a short time there. Actually, did a short time there, and I'll explain why. Um, but again, absolute great experience. Uh, just murders coming out of your, oh, yeah. your ears. I mean, literally, a time a DS used to attend every suspicious death in the Met. So literally, it could be a baby death, it could be a shooting, it could be um, a stabbing. It was uh, just jobs coming out of your I was literally work, 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 work. Stressful, calls in the middle of the night. Um, but they used to have a very good uh, system of responding. So if you was on that that particular team, you'd have a team that would go out quickly, do right. it. I think it was called Homicide Assessment, Hatcar, was it? Hatcar, yeah, yeah. Homicide Assessment yeah. Team. So you'd go out and uh, – but again, great experience. Um, I did the home side there as well. Had a – dealt with a couple of murders in the Wood Green area, if I remember. Um and then I got an opportunity. It came a little bit out of the blue, really. I was talking to somebody in Essex, and they said, uh, we just had a Home Office um, grant come through for um, for this organised immigration yes. crime. And they're looking for a DS to run the intel side of it. And when I looked at it, I thought, you know what, this is going to be an emerging... Who knew? 
<laughs> and this is going to be an emerging area. So went back to Essex. To be honest with you, I'd be, I probably would have stayed in the Met for the rest of my me, me time. I probably only had, by that time, was that 2004? So probably nine, probably eight or nine to go. Yeah. I probably would have stayed in the Met. Went back to Essex, took that job on. It was absolutely fantastic role. Great people, obviously Richie Adams, Chris Barnes, yeah, yeah, uh, and a dedicated um, immigration officer. But let me tell you something, chief officers. They said to me, "This will never, ca- this will never catch on." Oh my life! I remember doing the reviews, and they'd say to me, every, "Like you, you know, you'd ask because it was funded by the by by the Home Office." And going around the country, like particularly Kent, and they was talking to us about the uh, the asylum cases. And even at the airports, we were getting these young Chinese girls coming in um, through from Italy, um, destroying their passports, coming into the vice yeah. industry, going missing, huge problem with social services. Um, but even then, chief officers just didn't see it as a priority. As a priority, and obviously, we used to put packages together, go in front of um, you know, trying to ask for operational assistance. And it wasn't a um, what do they call it? Uh, is it a key operational goal? Yeah. Goal of it, and it was they just was not not backing it at all. I knew they who knew. Oh, you you yeah. say about because what they used to do is they get on the plane in Italy with mm. a with a passport. Yeah, then they'd go to the loo, shred their passport, wouldn't they? Throw yeah. it down the down the loo, get off, and the immigration would say, "Where are you from?" That's right, and that's where the journey started. Then they're released into the ether and. And that was uh, again. I mean, I think that's still still a problem with a lot of social services. You speak to the Met; they had problems at Heathrow. Yeah, they do. Uh, Gatwick's the same. And I think it's. Um, have we done it? I mean, obviously that we've had huge cases now, haven't we? I mean, the the, the Vietnamese. Oh yeah. Case in Essex, which was what four or five years ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I'd like to think that 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 sort of intel unit that was set up was probably was was created. I mean, Richie. Um, he still, still stayed walking on, the and he did, did a fantastic job with that. Yeah, um, I think there's been a couple of cases where wasn't there a guy that um, died of dehyd- dehydration in the back of a lorry? Yeah, coming through Harwich. Yeah, and you've had the, the 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 people that came in on the in the vehicle tomato lorry down in Dover. So you, it's mm. it's oh, we only have to look at the papers yeah. every day. There's something about immigration. Yeah, I I don't know whether there is an intel team. In the police service, I would imagine there is, uh, but I wonder what those chief officers are thinking now about priorities, because they don't understand. Mm. And this is the other thing: they didn't understand that the immigration situation or problem that you were working with yep. was funded by organised crime groups. Absolutely, yeah. So where, how can that not be a priority? Because accepting that not everybody's coming over as a result of an organised crime group. But a fair majority are. Yep. There's a fair few yep. that aren't independent travellers. They're coming over because it's been orchestrated for them to come over, and then they get prostituted, involved in other crimes, sure. drug dealing, yep. cash, cash, cash oh. businesses. I mean, you look at the high street without you can see the certain businesses that oh. are, that are laundering you know, well, huge amounts of money. It's well documented. Yep. Even yep. Happy Valley last. One of the episodes I watched, yep. where she went through the list of your nail bars, your barbers, all the all the the things that your sweet shops, all the things that on the yeah. face of it aren't taking any money, but then when they do their right. returns, they're turning yeah. over millions. That's right. Just who's dealing with that? But but you think about it. They've got the legislation now to 
like POCA legislation, yeah. proceeds of crime legislation, allows them now to to target, don't they? Yeah. Those, those premises to delve and deep. those uh, those owners to come in with their books and explain how much of that is is earned income. But I wonder how yeah. many of those actually take place. You do an FOI. I wonder how many people actually yeah. get interviewed and brought in. And if they do, yep. then the powers that be don't broadcast it well enough. They should be telling us what they're this doing what because doing. that's where the yeah. frustration is. Every high street yeah. has got these people. Absolutely. Cash businesses. Yeah. yeah, and it sounds very right-wing, and I'm not. I'm far from it, but there needs to be more of a grip around it. So was Phil Mellon on that as well? Phil was the head of SB, I think, a DI or a deputy right. on that side, but he did have oversight. Yeah, because it was of, an SB, uh, effectively yeah. an SB role, wasn't it? Yeah. And as I say, I think Richie's still working for, for mm. the firm, but yeah, he is. great, yeah. great guy. Yeah. And what happens next, then, Paul? That was in, um, I think, so that was towards 206, 207. And then uh, this opportunity came out of the blue to work in the in the, in football. Premier League Football Club. So how how did you? Because you're into your football. Mm. You're you're a big West Ham fan. Yep. Up the irons. Need all the help we can get. Oh yeah, do we ever? Um, how did you get involved in the football world to start off with? Before you made the jump. So I used to go to obviously West Ham supporter. Um, I was actually I was talking to chatting to um, a couple of people who worked at Premier League clubs, and they were saying they really do need to have. Like player liaison officers, dedicated officers to work with players and their families. And this is a role that, um, well, moving forward to today, like West Ham will have six or seven people doing that role. Right. So going back in 2007, 2008, there was probably like one person, used to be like the club secretary, used to deal with all of the issues. Right. So if you think about it, a player arrives at Terminal 5 or Terminal 4 during the transfer window, they arrive. Someone picks them up, takes them to the club, sorts out their property, their flat, sorts out a bank account for them, sorts their family out, the kids, their schooling, everything, like a complete, like a relocation. Yeah. So this was happening more and more. You imagine some clubs that sign more foreign players, um, you know, language issues, translation services. So what was happening, like Portsmouth, for example, like, like Harry Redknapp, Harry said to me, we need people that uh, with, a, with a good background of problem solving that can come in, that can deal with those issues. Because a manager doesn't want to deal with them. Um, no. You know, a player coming into work, coming into the training ground and saying, look, you know, and if, and obviously if their head's not right, they're not going to perform well, are they? No, they're not. And, and players have evolved because they've gone from the getting the local tube into Upton Park, as it was, you know, your Bobby yep. Moores and... Trevor Brookings and so using yep. public transport to get into almost well their celebrity status is overwhelming and they need yes. Paul Mullally's to 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 prevent the the public from intruding in their personal life yep. and prevent them from harming themselves because of their gross stupidity. Well, literally, they would t- they would just turn up. Like what would happen is the agent would do the the deal overseas and then the player would turn up and most of them obviously speak their English is quite good. Um, but you're there really to deal with everything on the ground, um, and it was a it was a seven days a week. Fant- I mean, if you love football, um, but the issues were coming in <laughs> thick and fast, yeah. as you can imagine. But if you like football and you like work, then it, they they it's great. I mean, like no disrespect, the Portsmouth Football Club. Uh, it was a club that, um, although successful quickly, 
the infrastructure hadn't been built. No. So like the training facilities, the training ground facilities weren't really up to up to standard. Um, so all these positions, like player liaison, they hadn't really thought about before. So it was a real uh, baptism, baptism of fire. And how long had you served in the police when you made that jump? Uh, 24, 20, 24, 24 Because years. 25 years is the magic. Yeah, that's right. A lot of people come up to me and say, you know, that's a that's a real uh, risk. Yeah, I mean, people would come up to you and just you know, because obviously people are institutionalised, aren't they? Police oh, officers massively. are massively, massively institutionalised, and they'd come up to you. They're worried for you, thinking, "Oh, you're giving up your pension, or you do it." And you know, I looked at it all, and I think sometimes in life, opportunities don't come along. No, they don't. Often, and and you know? I'm one of those who thought, "Oh my God, Paul, yeah. you go," you know, because obviously, 25 yep. years is the yeah. is the magic number. Yep. Um, but you've got no regrets about absolutely none at all. No, because it, it's led on to other, you know, I think it, other things really. That um, and I look at, obviously I read a lot of your posts, and you can see people that have coming up towards the end of that that magic thirty years that still don't really know what oh, they're doing. The uncertainty. Yeah, and and the thing for me, Paul, if you've got if you've got it up here, and you can use you're a communicator, yep. you can go and cut grass and then. Twenty pound an hour, you yeah, know. Yeah, if that's yeah, if that's yeah. what if you're fiscally driven and you've got to make some money, yeah. Um, I also get it that people want to retire and go and work for the police. I get that because that's it's it's carved mm. into us. That's how that's how sure. that's how we are. But you've so you've gone to Portsmouth. Why do you think that Portsmouth were successful at that time? The manager, the great Harry Redknapp. Do you know what people want to play for for a manager? So yeah. when you read managers coming into a club, it is they're a magnet, aren't they? Oh yeah. Um, and Harry would obviously be very persuasive to players as well about joining the club because obviously what would happen is the player would talk to the agent, would talk to the manager uh, or the or the chief exec, and it's how you sell the club, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and it was a difficult club to sell, really, because I mean, Sol Campbell joined Portsmouth. A lot yeah. of people forget that. <coughs> and he came down. You imagine he'd been playing for Arsenal and, or Spurs. Spurs and Arsenal. Yeah. And uh, he turned up at our training, our training ground and they must have looked at it and thought, is mm. this for me? But Harry sold the club, um, sold the club to him. Um, and we had people like um, Sylvain Distan, Glenn Johnson. Uh, I mean, Glenn, obviously an ex, ex-Chelsea yeah. uh, West Ham player. We had a guy from uh, from Arsenal, Diara. Yeah. Um, fantastic player. Uh, David James, uh, Linvoid Primus. I mean, a really, it was a top, a top side. And were they good people to work with? Very, very good people. Because what would happen is, uh, it would help my job. Because if you get a young player came in that struggling a little bit to settle, the older players, particularly if they've lived in the community, would be a great help. You know, they'd say to them, "Look, go to that school. You know, if your kids are, you know, there's a good play group for your kids." And obviously for the wives as well, because you imagine the wives are sitting at home. Yeah. The player players are at, um, at, at training, or particularly when they travelled, trying to get the ladies, you know, get the get the, the football wives to sort of, you know, to mix as well, which usually was down the gym, right? Um, and a few little breaks and a few holidays and stuff. But uh, for all their for all their faults, and there's a lots of faults about professional footballers. Um, so Pompey went through. The highs and lows. I mean, 2008, we won the FA Cup. What was that was like? Just, just to be involved in it, uh, Paul, was just uh, 
just an unbelievable experience. I was just pinching myself, you know, thinking yeah. that I'm working for a club that has won the FA Cup, travelling with the team home and away. Um, it's just, uh, I mean, I always remember the party, you know, like the the night that we won it. You know, we went back to the hotel. We was there with the families. It was just, just absolutely amazing. Um, it was just, just. I can see it in your incredible. face now. I wish I had a camera because you're yeah. you're reliving that. It was just. Um, but even the club, though, I mean, I just remember a guy came in and said, um, "Oh, you all need to have a suit for the. Um, you know, you all need to be fitted out." So the this tailor came in and and fit and fit us all out. Tickets were a problem, yeah, because, right? Because the club had never been in it, had never been to uh, to a, to a final for lots of years. It was like, well, how many tickets do to, to, to we get allocated? Can we take our wives? You know, can we take our kids? And uh, that's when I saw a side of Harry. That um, I think there was a there was a young kid with um, a young handicapped boy in a chair in his wheelchair with his carer, and it was the time of the the media were involved at the club uh, just before the, the cup final. And um, Harry said to the kid. Wishes good luck for the weekend. He said, oh, are you going? He said, no, Harry, can't get a ticket. And I could see him so preoccupied. He just didn't He didn't deal with the media guy. He went straight upstairs, phoned the ticket office at Portsmouth. The lady there said, Harry, tickets are sold out. He was a little bit short with her on the phone. He said, you need to get you need to sort two tickets. Anyway, he phoned, 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 phoned uh, Club Wembley, got uh, tickets for the carer, and the and the uh, and the boy went downstairs, gave it to him. Do you know what? Just to see that that Fantastic. young lad's face, you know, he's a he's a proper. You know player. I mean? he's, he was he's, um, he's brilliant. Stuff he does for charity as well. Yeah, the leukemia, uh, leukemia um, uh, busters, I think stuff like that. Him and Sandra, his wife, they do. They're, they're fantastic. He's very active on the old social media side nowadays. <laughs> yes, he is. He is. I mean, he did some. He still does the after dinner, um, and he's a great after dinner mm. uh, speaker as well. And uh, I mean, you see people like him and Sam Allardyce. They're up. They're old, older old school. school. Still great stories, of course. Yeah. Um, so two thousand. So going back, two thousand eight Cup final, won the FA Cup. Then we did some travelling in Europe. We we qualified for the and one one amazing night was AC Milan came down to uh, Fratton Park. Which was just incredible, unbelievable. Uh, Ronaldinho, Kaka, uh, all these top players, and you could see him walking in superstars, <laughs> walking into Fratton Park. <laughs> what, the- what? What have we done here? You know. <laughs> but great story about that. The kit man phoned me up five o'clock in the afternoon, five o'clock in the evening. He said, uh, "Paul, he said I've got all these um, players here." He said, "Can you go into sports and soccer and buy a load of shirts?" AC Milan shirts. No, <laughs> so I took him in, and we were there. He was there oh, with the players signing true. the shirts. It was Kaka. I think it was Ronaldinho, Kaka. Um, I'd have to look back and see who played, but it was it was a full, it was a full team. It was a, it was a great night, and it was a two-two. I think it was a, that night. Rock, flat Fratton Park was absolutely. Um, it was it was rocking. The the atmosphere there was just uh, just incredible. Oh, I can only imagine, mate. Yeah, we don't have many of those at West Ham at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and then Harry moved on. Harry went to Spurs. Uh, it was a time that there were some financial issues at the club, and I think uh, the owner wanted to sell. Um, Who was the owner then? It was a guy called uh, Sasha Gaydemark. Right. So he's, his father was um, pretty key. I think his, his father was a financier behind it, keen to, keen to sell. But the Premier League at the time, the TV money, it was about forty million, right? In today's world, it's one hundred and fifteen million. 
Wow. So between 2008 and 2023, you can see that the, the, the prize money, sorry, the money from TV for being a, the rights, yeah. being a membership of the Premier League is a minimum of 115 million. So wow. our wage bill um, was huge. So turnover, income there, turnover, and it just didn't, it just didn't equate. No, and you could see things going on at the club where bills weren't being paid. And to be fair, um, there was people like some of the part timers weren't being paid, and the the senior pros used to have a whip round. Did they really? And pay for like the lady used to do the laundry. Wow, things like that, you know, that uh, which people don't always appreciate, and they don't see that side. No. So I think I could see that then the administrators came in and uh, this is where the comfort zone of being in the public sector, of being paid every month. Yeah. They was a bit brutal. They came in, they must have looked at me and went, what do you do for a living? Phone call. We're dismissed. We don't need you anymore. You know, you're you're done. Uh, so that was that was a bit of a hard mm. hard pill to uh, to swallow. But um just in, I was just involved with, at that time. I was involved in doing some visas for the players. They were going out to America, so I had to call the lady in the American embassy to tell her that um, I just lost just lost my job, and she weren't best place. She said to me, "I think that's terrible." She said, "I won't be doing with anyone else at the club." <laughs> so I went off, went off, um, and then the, the the CEO of the club had to call me up and ask me to go back and work for them as a consultant to fill this gap with the uh, with the visas until. Until they were sorted out. Anyway, it was sorted out. So that was me. So that was me sit, sitting there in 2011 thinking, what do I do now? Yeah. And what did you do now? Do you know what? You do, you sit down with a nice bit of paper <laughs> and you sit down and think, what do I do? Could I go back to the job? Um, so what I did, um, I sat down and thought, you know, what, what transferable skills from the sports area that I could take into? And at that time... The club was um, there was an investigation going on with HMRC um, into the uh, it was a Lord Stevens inquiry into football transfers. Right. So one of the legal team said to me, "Why don't you come work for us? You've got you've got a policing background, uh, an investigation background. You've got a good understanding of uh, of regulation in sport. Come and work for us." So I worked for them almost as an expert for about three years. Wow. For those during those trials when those trials were going on. Um, I ended up doing some work for a company called Lockton, and I really appreciate it. It's a guy called Mike, uh, Mickey Owen. He's not not the Michael Owen from uh, <laughs> Liverpool, but he called me up and said, um, I've got some insurance products that I want you to introduce to the football market. So I don't know if you know, a lot of players, they take a contract out, and if they get injured, they need to cover their, um, their contract with insurance cover. Right. So that was an interesting one. So I worked for a company called Lockton, so that was basically working with players and agents in relation to their career-ended insurance cover. So I did that as a consultant for about uh, two or three years. And then a little bit of regulatory sort of work in between, and that sort of kept me ticking over, really. But you, you worked on the, the, um, the high, some of the high-profile trials, mm. um, which must have been fascinating because you were looking at it from a, yep. from a different perspective. How were you received by... Bear in mind, you are a professional police officer. Yes, yeah. you know, and always been a professional yeah. police officer. How were you received by other police? Yeah, I did see. Uh, there was a. I mean, it was City London uh, Police, or, or then handed it over to HMRC. So, 
Yeah, I think that's a strange... Um, I think if you work in the private sector and you've been in the police force, I don't think you're particularly well particularly well received, no, even yeah. though that your past is your past. Yeah. You know? And um, I don't know whether that's... Uh, I don't know if it's a jealousy issue or... I don't know. Your past is your what? past, but your yeah. integrity is intact. And once you've le- left the police, you can work for anybody you like. Absolutely, yeah. doesn't mean you've lost your integrity. It just means that you've... You are doing something... You're, um, you're entitled to earn a living. Yep. And there is a massive world out there where you can earn earn a living. Yeah. Do you still... Do, do you miss anything to do with the police or...? Um, camaraderie was fantastic. Like yeah. the, the banter. Um, but I think I've seen the changes, the, if you like, the political correctness. Yeah. Changes and that wouldn't be wouldn't be comfortable with that working in no. the way that the. But having said that, um, I did a when I was uh, when I didn't have much work at all. I did some work for the SFR actually for, for for a period of time, which was interesting. They wanted me to interview um, directors uh, for under the Companies Act. Right, I did that for a period of time just as a, as a bit of a, a gap, a, a fill in the gap, and then ended up um, again looking at. Still looking at opportunities that come, and I've enjoyed the, um, I've really enjoyed the set, the selling side as well. You know, sort of being involved in sort of doing direct uh, contact with clients. Then there was a company that um, that had a number of um, uh, products that uh, basically forensic products. So what they wanted is a relationship, someone to introduce their products to barristers' chambers right. and solicitors. So they were providing experts in in DNA. Um, psych, psychiatric, psychiatric um, issue, that that sort of thing. And they just wanted somebody to sort of. They had a database of experts, and what they wanted is somebody to go and talk to solicitors about right. instructing them. So again, that was interesting. Yeah. That was a company called Foresight Clinical Service who did that for. Um, did, did that did that again as a consultant for twelve months, and so I was ticking over. Things things were good. Do you still have yeah. anything to do with the football world? I mean, it's still a passion. Uh, massive passion. Paul, I'm, I'm 60 this year. Are you really? And um, when I see people running around after players seven days a week, I'm not sure Not sure I've got the energy for it. No. Um, and it is quite stressful. Mm. And, um, you know, you're getting called up at all hours of the day. Although, I think if someone picked the phone up and said... Yeah, of course. Would you do it? You'd help them out as a, as a you know, on a consultancy basis. Yeah. But clubs now... Have gone down a very different route now. They've got people now. They've got a big team. Like West Ham will have a team of five or six, so there'll be one person dealing with the families at match day. Uh, there'll be one person yeah. dealing with the management side of the club, the coaching. There'll be no, someone else dealing with the, uh, the academy players, and it's more around the mental health um, support for players. Because if you think of the young players now that get the club towards the end of the season, call them in and say, "Look, your contract's up." Um, sorry, you're gonna to have to find another club. So there's off. So there's often that I think a lot of clubs are recognising now that uh, there's a big oh. support for players that um, you know that need that need your support. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they're leaving if their agent is not interested in them any further, and they want to get another club. Um, so they're you know they're recognising it. I think they're putting quite a lot of resources into it now as well. But you know so. what they haven't got? They haven't got you. They haven't got no. that that. So as a as a police officer, you've got the decision making, you've got the customer mm. focus, you've got the understanding. That is a skill that's acquired over time in the police. Yes, there yeah. are people that naturally do it in the police and they when they join, but 
you've acquired all those skills. So, and I'm sure there are, you know, West Ham, Arsenal, Liverpool. Yeah. They've, but to have that level, thinking clearly under pressure, head is which we've got. Yeah, it's usually the three o'clock in the morning call, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, absolutely. This has happened. Yeah. It's usually someone at the, at the board level wants uh, a bit of advice. So it's crisis management. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. We forget the um, the areas of the, the, the skills, I suppose, don't they? The skill set that we've got. Yeah, absolutely. And do you keep in touch with any of your former, like footballers? And yeah, through yeah, I do. Um, I still speak to I speak to Harry. Uh, still keep in touch with some of the ex players as well. Uh, most of them have gone on to management side now, yeah, as well, coaching. Uh, you, you bump into people from from time to time, and yeah, it's, I mean, I love going to games. I still go to a game and. Um, you still would like to get involved. Um, I mean, oh, well, I if someone's at, listening to this and they think, oh, I need somebody who's got all those just, skills. Just to, and- you know, if you look at, um, I was looking at South End United at the weekend, I go to their games and they're, they're unfortunately they're going through a real uh, debt, debt yeah. issues at the moment with, uh, I think there's an HMRC investigation going on there as well and um, uh, tax, tax is late, players are being paid late and that's similar issues to what, what we had at Portsmouth. So, yeah, if, if the... Uh, you never say no. No, exactly, exactly. And we're, we're young enough to, to get on with it. We Still just do don't it, want yeah. the long hours anymore, though, do we? <laughs> That's the difference. Yeah. Um, so, of course, now you're, you're, you're teaching. You're teaching kids um, at golf schools. What's that all about? Um, did some work as an invigilator in the summer when things were quiet, and uh, I saw an advert came up, and I've got a Sir uh, Ed, PGC Sir Ed. I've not used it for some time. Did it while I was in the police. And... Um, so what I'm doing at the moment is, is young golfers, these are real talented kids. They're 16 between eight, 16 and 18 years of age, two sites, Essex and Kent. So they come in, they get taught um, with their, to improve their golfing um, abilities with a, with a PGA professional. So I'm teaching them on the BTEC side, so the sports science side of it. So some of them, may, if they don't make professional golfers, they may want to be instructors they may want to be golf assistants working in shop. They may want to be greenkeeper. So I'm doing the the business management side of sport. Oh, fascinating. With youngsters, and it's it's great. It's really good to work with young people, actually, because I think it does keep you young, doesn't it? Oh, oh yeah, it does. With, uh, yeah, it does. But that's, and you like your golf. I mean, you you go to the Masters and you... I do, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a bang average golfer, Paul. Let me tell you. I'm sure we'll find out in the summer. Yeah. I mean, I'm... <laughs> But yeah, I'm going out the Masters this year. But it's great. It's great to work with you. These youngsters are looking to play golf in places like uh, they want to go out to the states, the, the deep south, to play in yeah. um, in tournament golf. Fantastic. With a view of playing the PGA Tour. So that's that's the current uh, twenty hours a week. Fantastic, mate. Yeah, we got invited out to the the Sandersons. They have a um, they're a food chicken company yeah. basically out, out in Mississippi, and we got invited out, and we were going, and then COVID kicked in, and we didn't okay, go, but. Yeah. Yeah, it's very good, mate. Paul, before we conclude, is there anything yep. you'd like to add, alter or correct to you? You know, is there anything you'd like to throw into this interview? Do you know what? It's just, uh, I'd like to say thanks for what you do as well, because I know well, you do man. a lot of support with the military as well, which is great. I was talking to my wife about it this morning, actually. We was talking about um, PTSD and uh, the military yeah. and how you can help them with the employment. So, do you know what? Fair play to you. Thanks, it's, mate. Uh, it's really appreciated to see yeah. that... Uh, and the fact that you can that you can help ex officers that maybe have hit that thirty year and sitting there thinking my lawn looks nice. Yeah. Um, is there anything else? Is there any other value that I can add to? Uh, so thank know? you. It's very yeah. kind. Yeah, but I love it. 
Honestly, yeah. I, and I know you'll understand where I am, but I am I'm passionate about it. I've, I, and I was the same in the police service. I'm passionate about helping people, and it's yeah. not all about making a couple of quid. Yes, of course, I'm, we're a business. Sure, yeah. But I get as much satisfaction of of somebody walking away saying that was good. I enjoyed that, or yeah. you know, or somebody needs help with their CV. So, you know, there's 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 lots of ways. But thank you, you're very kind, Paul. Paul, I'm going to conclude this interview. Thank you so much for your time today, and um, I'll go and put the kettle on. Sounds good. Thanks, Paul.